0: Aren't you grateful to live in a country that allows us the freedoms that we enjoy each and every day? It is a great blessing to live in this country, and I'm grateful for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice with their very lives so that we might enjoy times like this, when we can come together to worship God, to serve Him, and for all the freedoms and favors that we enjoy. I want us to think for a moment or two, though, about the freedom that is available in Christ. There are a lot of people in our world today, whether they know it or not, they are in a form of slavery. They have been enslaved to a life of sin. And so what we need to understand is that there is the hope for freedom, that we can enjoy the freedom that only Jesus can give. The freedom that is promised to us is available to all, and that's a beautiful thing. To know that regardless of our background, regardless of our state in life, we can enjoy freedom in the Lord. So, what made this freedom possible? What was the motivation? by Jesus so that we might be free from a life of sin. Let me just call attention to the passage that was read just a moment ago by Isaiah. Look at John chapter 15, verse 13, and we're talking about the motivation by Jesus. That is, the motivation to free us from sin. So here it is, greater love... Has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So, really, if you step back and you think about the catalyst behind which we are afforded the opportunity to enjoy freedom, it is described in one word it's love. The Bible says, greater love has no one than this. Now there are a lot of things in scripture that are said about love and we talk about the nature of God. The very essence of God is love. John said in 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 that God is love and in light of that love we are to reciprocate. The Bible would also say in 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 we love him because he first loved us. Now you think about some of the declarations of love that are found throughout the Scriptures. Jesus here speaks unequivocally of the love that He has. Look at verse 12, This is My commandment, that you love one another, listen to Him, as I have loved you. The Lord has, in a very plain and forthright way, stated over and over again His tremendous love for us. I think about the words of John chapter 3, verse 16, When Jesus in the long ago said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so here is Jesus talking about the tremendous love that God has for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, But God commendeth His own love toward us. So to know that there is a God in heaven who loves us. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 would say, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith He loved us. Listen again to what Jesus said, verse 13. Greater love. So, over and over again, the Bible declares the love that God has for us. But then what about the demonstration of that love? Has God demonstrated His love for us? Is it possible for us to see in black and white the love that He has for us? Yes, there is. It's absolutely possible. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul said, But God commends His own love toward us. In other words, He manifests His love towards us. He demonstrates it. Well, how does He do that? Well, the Bible says, God commendeth His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To know that the Lord emptied Himself, came to this earth, took upon Himself human flesh, and ultimately gave Himself for our sins. John would write in 1 John chapter 4, Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, not only does God declare His love for us, but He demonstrates that love over and over again. Demonstrated on Calvary. And then the depth of His love. Would it be possible for us to put in human terminology the depth of love that God has for us? I'm not sure we can really fathom it. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the depth and length, the width and height. And then he talks about the love of Christ which passes or surpasses all knowledge. Now, you think about the love that you have for your child. And it's very difficult for us to put in human words that bond that exists between us as parents and our children. It is, as we would say, sacrificial love. It is a love that would entail service on our behalf. It's unconditional love, isn't it? And so the depth of love that God has for us. And then also the duration of His love. I want you to think about this for a minute. There will never be a time in your life that God doesn't love you. Think about that. There will never be a time in your life that God doesn't love you. In Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3, Jeremiah talking about the love that God had for the nation of Israel. He said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Now look, I get it. Sometimes we are unlovable. And there are times in life when based on what we do, what we say, where we go, the things that we do are frowned upon by deity. But just because because God does not condone our behavior does not mean that He doesn't love us. God will always love us. And you think about our imperfections, our frailties, our faults, all the things that sometimes stand between us and God, and yet the Bible says over and over again, God loves us. So when you leave here today, you can know that there is undiminished love for you by Almighty God. So we think about the motivation of Jesus. Why would Jesus make it possible for us to enjoy freedom, to be free from a life of sin and death. Well, it's because of love. But then there's a second thing I want to call attention to, and that has to do with the consecration of Jesus. You see, it's one thing to talk about love. It's another thing to demonstrate it. As I said a moment ago, God declared His love for us. He demonstrated His love in order for in order for us to be forgiven, to enjoy freedom in Christ. It took Jesus going to the cross, didn't it? Now you think about the commitment level that was involved there. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, leaving heaven, the glories of heaven, and coming to earth to be born of a virgin. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10, Speaking on behalf of Christ, a body was prepared for me. Here was the second member of the Godhead willing to come and tabernacle in human flesh. In other words, to be made of flesh and blood. So that He might go to Calvary and save us from sin. So I want you to understand, first and foremost, it was a voluntary death. Jesus went to the cross because God the Father had devised a plan whereby we would be saved. That plan would be ultimately realized in Christ. John in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 speaks of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God, as we would say, drew up the plans. He was the architect, but Jesus was the agent by which this plan was consummated, brought to fruition, wasn't it? And so it took 100% commitment on His part to get the job done. So in John chapter 4, here's Jesus saying this, My work is to do the will of Him who sent me. In John 6 verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father. I think about in the shadow of the cross, Jesus praying to God the Father and saying, Glorify me on earth. He said, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. God gave Him a task, didn't He? The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus took upon Himself human flesh, and being born in the likeness of men, the Bible says, He became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. You need to understand, when Jesus went to the cross, He wasn't coerced, He wasn't made to go to the cross, but He did so voluntarily, didn't He? In John chapter 15, Jesus said, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. He said, I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This command I've received of my Father. So what Jesus is saying is, look, willingly, gladly, humbly, submissively, I gave my life for you. Now you think about that sacrifice. The freedoms that we enjoy in this country today are because of people that made the ultimate sacrifice. And there were some folks that went to, as we would say, the front line of battle to preserve the ideals of freedom that we cherish. And some of those people laid down they gave their very lives so that we might enjoy the benefits and the blessings of freedom today. And they did so in many respects voluntarily. And if you were to ask them, would you do it all over again, you know what they'd say? Yes. Yes. So when Jesus is in the garden, He's praying to God the Father and He's saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but He said, Your will be done. God's will took precedence in this redemptive work. So Jesus went to the cross voluntarily. There's a second thing. We talk about His consecration, His willingness to see this plan to fruition. First, it involved His voluntary death. Secondly, it involved His vicarious death. In other words, Jesus became our substitute, didn't He? When Jesus went to the cross... He died for us. Listen again to what Paul said, God commendeth His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wasn't it Paul who wrote in Galatians 2.20 and said, speaking of Christ who loved me and gave Himself for me? Jesus vicariously died in my stead, here's Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 said, Christ also has suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself unto him who judges righteously. Who his own self bore our sins in his body on the cross we being dead unto sin might live under righteousness. Here's what Peter is saying. Jesus took your place, He took my place on the cross, didn't He? If anybody should have been put to death, it would have been us. Did Jesus deserve the ill treatment of the cross? Did He deserve death? No. Do you remember Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate said, after examining Jesus, I find no fault in Him. The Bible says that Jesus was without sin and yet He took upon Himself our sin so that we might enjoy the blessings and favors of God. Now, go back and look at what the Gospel record has to say. Wasn't Jesus betrayed by one of His own? Yes, He was. Wasn't Jesus scourged? In other, in other words, they stripped Him. They took a leather whip bones or other sharp fragments attached to it and they literally flayed him they laid him open some would say that the scourge was enough to kill a man the bible says they stripped him they put on him a scarlet robe they spat on him they hit him in the face and said prophesy unto us who is it that hit you And so you think about the love of God, and here's Jesus saying, greater love has no one than this than to lay down His life for His friends. Let me tell you what, when Jesus went to Calvary, He went with you in mind. He went to the cross in full recognition that without His death, we would be lost. Do you remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2.12? Those who are outside a covenant relationship with God, they are what? They are without hope and without God in this world. When Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God in the Garden of Eden, what happened? Separation. Death became a reality. There was physical death and spiritual death. And Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 59 that sin is what separates us from God. And so, his vicarious death. But then there's a third aspect, and that has to do with his victorious death. You see, it doesn't stop The gospel record doesn't stop with the crucifixion of Christ, does it? When Jesus came forth from the grave, and we talk about God's redemptive plan, there were some things that occurred. Think first of all about the fact that Jesus destroyed sin. In other words, He remedied it, remedied the problem of sin. He destroyed the work of the devil. Now, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says that Jesus destroyed him who has the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, he rendered it inoperative. Yes, we die physically, but is there not a resurrection? Yes, there will be. One day there will be a resurrection of the dead. And so, to think that Jesus destroyed him, that is, the devil who had the power of death, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the sting of death. And then what about Satan? In Colossians 2 verse 15, Paul said, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he said he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again, he dealt the devil. As we would say, a death blow. And so He stands victorious. And because of what He did, we're victorious, are we not? Will we not one day, those of us who are in Christ, be raised to live forever again, forevermore? Yes, we will. We will be raised to life everlasting, as Jesus said in John chapter 5. Now there's a third thing I want you to see, and I want you to turn back with me for a moment. and Look at John chapter 8. In John the 8th chapter, we now come to the liberation by Jesus. And again, we're asking the question, why would Jesus free us from a life of sin? Well, the motivation was love. His consecration evidenced in His willingness to go to the cross. And so in light of the finished work of Christ, here's what we have liberation we can be liberated by and in jesus christ the son of god so listen to what jesus said in john chapter 8 verse 30 the bible says that jesus spoke these words many believed in him because he had been talking about lifting up the son of man and he said when you do that you will know that i am he that is the divine son of god he said to the jews if you abide in my word you're my disciples indeed." You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Now drop down, look at verse 34. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, listen to Him, you shall be free indeed. Did you know that Jesus has the power to liberate you? In other words, He can free you from a life of sin. The Bible talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, those who have been taken captive by the devil to do His will. In other words, they've been imprisoned. So here's somebody who is in sin. They're in a life that would be out of harmony with the will of God. They are a captive of Satan. They're a prisoner of His. They are a slave of His. And yet what the Bible says is Jesus has the power... To liberate you to free you well from what number one jesus can free you from the shame of sinful living now i understand that we live in a day and time in which the word sin has as we would say fallen on hard times a lot of folks don't believe in sin anymore there are people in our world today that have redefined sin. Well, the Bible doesn't redefine it. The Bible simply defines it. A definition of sin, the transgression of the law in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Paul said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So sin is a reality. And you think about the shame associated with sin. Now, there are a lot of folks today that live in sin, and they know no shame. But I can tell you there are some people... And it might be that you're here today, and you are ashamed by the way you're living. You know that your mom and dad taught you better. You know your grandparents taught you better. You know that the Bible says you ought to be living better than you are. But you've chosen to live in sin, and you're ashamed of your behavior. When Paul went to the city of Corinth, the Bible tells us that he spent 18 months there preaching the Word. The Bible also says that many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. When you look at the city of Corinth and you think about the people that lived there, it wasn't a pretty sight. There were people that had given themselves over to idolatry. Some were living in immorality. That's why Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, "...neither fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, thieves, covetous, revilers, drunkards, extortioners," he said, "...shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you." Don't you think over the course of 18 months, those people having had the opportunity to listen to the gospel, don't you think that there were some temple prostitutes there that realized Jesus died for their sins, And they became ashamed of their behavior. They realized they were living in sin, that there was a better way of life, and they humbled themselves and obeyed the gospel. Don't you believe that? Don't you think that there were some people there that had lived in a drunken stupor day in and day out? And they finally realized that, you know what, satisfaction is not found in the bottom of a bottle. It's found in the Lord. Don't you think that there were some people there that had been caught up in a life of homosexuality? and that they came to realize, you know what? God loves me. God gave His very best for me, and I can be forgiven. There are, there are people in our world today, they struggle day in, day out with the shame of sin, don't they? What about the stain of sin? Look, you can go out clubbing every night. You can stay out to 3 or 4 in the morning, and you can drink, smoke, take drugs, do all kinds of stuff. And you can come home, and you can literally feel dirty and soiled. And you can take a shower, and you might feel clean again, but let me tell you what, your soul's not clean. The only way that you can truly enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Christ is is to obey the gospel. Paul, when he recounted his conversion story, said that Ananias came to him, and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you waiting? He said, Arise and be baptized. Listen to him and wash away your sins. I want you to know something. There is no greater feeling in the world than to know you have been a sinner and that your life has been stained by sin, you have been shamed by your behavior in sin, and to know the cleansing power of the blood of Christ and to know that that blood can wash away every single sin that you can stand before God as a new creation in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church, or rather when Paul wrote to Timothy, do you remember he talked about his past life as a Jew? He said he had been a persecutor, a blasphemer, an insolent man, he said, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then he said, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul would say to the Romans, where sin abounded, grace, he said, abounded much more. And there's some folks, they, they honestly, honestly believe in their heart of hearts. There's no way God would ever forgive them. They have the idea that there is no way a loving God in heaven would ever forgive them of what they've done, where they've been, what they've said. And I'm here to tell you that is the devil's lie. He will forgive. He will set you free. Listen again to what Jesus said. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Only Jesus has that power. Well, what about the promise to liberate us? Can Jesus hold true to His Word and make it happen? Yes, He can. Listen again to what Jesus said. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Look, it's in this book that we find out how to become liberated from sin, don't we? The power of the Gospel. Paul said, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. God's Word has the power to bring about change in your life. Now, you can resist it. You can say no to it. But the power of the gospel, is it's there. God has the power to liberate you from the power of sin. Is it a struggle? Sure. Anytime you're talking about making a change in life, it's tough. But it's not impossible, is it? Paul talked about his former life as a Jew. And then he talked about his transformed life in Christ. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? The people I spoke about just a moment ago, the Corinthians? Paul said, if any man be in Christ, what? He is a new creation. In other words, you want a clean slate? You want to walk out here, walk out of here today no longer bearing the shame and the stain of sin? You can do that. God can break you free from the power that sin holds in your life. And let me tell you, it can be a powerful thing. But Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So He has the power to liberate you. But then, we think about the promises to liberate us from the power of sin. What about the penalty of sin? Here's what you need to understand. If you're living in sin... You're living under a death sentence. I have never been, never in my life have I been to a prison and been with people that are on death row. I've had the opportunity to preach in prison. I've had the opportunity to speak to inmates, but I have never had the opportunity to visit people on death row. And I can't imagine waking up every day knowing I've got a death sentence looming over my head. You need to to understand that if you're outside of Christ, you have a far heavier death sentence looming over your head. It's called the wages of sin. Paul said the wages of sin, listen to him, is death. It is eternal separation from God. But the beauty is you can walk away from here free. Could you imagine going in to visit an inmate on death row and saying, I want you to know something today. I've got the paperwork drawn up, you can walk out of here a free man, a free woman. Don't you know that would be liberating? I want you to know today you can walk out of here a free man, a free woman, a free young person. How? In Christ. Salvation is in Christ. How do you get into Christ? The only way to get into Christ? You've got to be baptized. You're baptized into Christ so that you can enjoy the remission, the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. The Bible says that that we are to then live faithfully until death, the promise being the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Now look, it might be that at one time you were free in Christ, but now you're back in the world. And rather than being free, you've been imprisoned again. I want you to know you can be free again. The Lord will take you back. What do you need to do? The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.